We're going to be wrapping up our teaching in 1 Kings, but we're going to be entering into our teaching in 2 Kings. So let's go ahead and find our places. Regular crispier with a side of mercy. That's your title. You'll see how it works. Sometimes those titles come just when I enter into the door. So don't think I've been praying through it all night. So this has been a great study. And what we're looking at is the history of Israel's kings. When we say the word Israel, we do mean the nation as it was intended to be. But in this particular study, it has been now a divided nation. The northern ten tribes have retained the name of Israel. Judah has taken over the worship center of Jerusalem, and they're known as the southern kingdom. So that's what you need to remember. And so 2 Kings simply continues to move us in lineage of the kings. The majority of the kings end up failing in Israel. A minority and yet a very strong and usable kingship comes from Judah. They had the greater contributions in righting the wrongs of previous kings. They were the reason for a delay and ultimately a judgment that they would be caught up in as well. The judgment comes with an Assyrian attack that will literally remove the ten tribes seemingly off the face of the earth. We wonder what happened to them. The Lord knows. But I say that because it was, it was a wipeout. And Judah was spared because of a collective work of godly kings that held their place until culture won, sin ultimately had its payoff and death. And so when we get into understanding the Babylonian captivity, that tells you how far we yet still have to go to move through some 42 to 43 kings. So that's kind of the history right now. Where we left off is that Ahab had perished in battle. That was the last teaching that I did, and we linked that with having the armor of God, and yet there can be chinks in our armor. An arrow found its place, mortally wounded Ahab. He asked to be taken from the battlefield, and so doing, he basically died in the attempt to have respite from war. We saw as well that there was a collaboration with the king of Judah, the southern tribe, and that was Jehoshaphat. He had allied himself with Ahab, as can happen with believers, with culture. In this alliance, he found himself drafted into battle 
that battle almost cost him his life. The difference between Ahab and Jehoshaphat is when he realized the enemy was upon him and he was soon to perish, he cried out to the Lord. He didn't cry for more soldiers to help him. He cried out to God. The cry would be indicative of repentance for allying himself with Ahab, which again is always one of the temptations that we have, even the church. Well, if I just cozy up a little bit, if I endeavor to broker peace, surely with God on my side and my heart to do good for the Lord, it will work, generally doesn't. The believer who is strong can be easily weakened when the compromise has led to a violation of precepts. We can see the lives of many destroyed by just that one ally, that one person, that group that they decided to be missionaries for or warriors with in the hopes of brokering peace or whatever didn't work. It doesn't work in marriages. It doesn't work in the church. The prevailing consequence is that Satan grabs a foothold and takes down a body. And so with this right now, where we did leave off, Ahab passes away. His son takes his spot. His son's name is Ahaziah. And Jehoshaphat, we're picking up in verse 41 for just a quick consolidation of this. The son of Asa had become king over Judah. We know that that is true. In the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel, that tells us approximately the time in which they were coordinatingly a part of two different kingdoms. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehuzbah, the daughter of Shilei. The names aren't meant to necessarily confuse you, but the Jewish people were very careful about genealogy. So if you have to know why does it move towards both paternal and maternal, is that the Jews, unlike any other nation that had been disposed of to the four corners of the earth, were able to trace their ancestor based on the accuracy of genealogy recorded from times past. No other nation has been sent to the four corners of the earth, retaining their language and being brought back in what we would say was a horrific genocide, World War II, and brought back to their land, preserved in their language. Some cultural influences, but amazing. God did that. So that's why you see these names at times jump out at you. Jehoshaphat, in this case, is being remembered for a lineage that actually was remarkable. And it cites him as being very memorable to the cause of God. It says that in verse 43, he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. This is a good word for us. Rob had a great illustration, his purposed walk. Yesterday he demonstrated that when he's got Something that is his goal to move towards, he showed us his gate. It was a great gate. 
he was a power walker. I would have to attach a leash to him in order to keep that pace. But he would be strong enough to tow me. And what he was demonstrating in that is the purposeful, diligent, consistent walk and not getting distracted on your way, that you might not find yourself a victim on the battlefield of life. And it is a battlefield. The enemy's intention is to kill us, to maim us, to provoke fear in us that we no longer want to walk with God, no want to achieve the purposes of the Lord. And so this is citing to this man his integrity. And it does indicate as well, though this is a great commendation, it indicates a vulnerability. It's cited here as well. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. And then verse 44, another weakness cited, which we also discovered in the narration. Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. He wasn't to do that. He was simply overstepping his ambassadorial duties. I can make friends with people being friendly to them, but it doesn't mean that they will be able to bosom up to me and to have a relationship with me if they are not walking with God, such as I do. And so when I am adopted by someone in the faith to walk with them, then it means that I am in all intents and purposes protected, even as Rob demonstrated because of the walk that I'm able to validate. Look at that walk. He walks strong. And when there's an error in the step, one way to the right or to the left, he self-corrects because he's under conviction of the Lord. That's a walk. And so this indicates that even in the best intentions of endeavoring to broker peace, if it is not God's heart for you to be doing that, then you just don't do it. Jehoshaphat found that out. The high places indicate the places where other people had their priorities of worshiping God, but not the living God. It was their gods. We have people today, even within the church, that are worshiping the convenience of their God. It happens. Nothing new. COVID did a lot to influence that, provoke fear. Ooh. I can't sit six feet away from somebody and have a mask. I ain't going. I'm just going to stay here with my family and breathe on them. Let them breathe on me. It really did have an effect. And so whatever it may be that keeps individuals from the house of God, these are not the days to be experimenting with that one. And when you see people that you know, and you know better on where they ought to be, you don't have to indict them. Your finger does not need to go up their nose. They're capable of that. You just need to be able to say, hey, delighted to see you. God bless you. See you in church. You'd be surprised how those three phrases are able to be 
not an indictment, but an encouragement. Step back in to the light. Be with the company of your people. Enjoy once again the liberty that three years ago was seen on you. The joy of the Lord completely overwhelming so many of us, its influence. And so Jehoshaphat, again, was corrected. This is true. The rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, because he's ready to take his place as is the way of men, is that the, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, that might, uh, the might that he showed and how he made war, are they not written in the books of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And the rest, notice this, of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Ezra, he banished from the land. That's an important word. The perversion that was evident during his father's reign, he did not allow to remain. Banishment. It would indicate there might have been even a side of mercy there, though that's not where this title's going yet. But banishment means he would not tolerate, as society is endeavoring to tweak our ears. Just be tolerant. God didn't ask us to be tolerant. He asks us to be patient, to be kind. He does not say that we are to tolerate perversion. It affects people. It changes their disposition towards God. It compels them to define God for what he is not, and that is unrighteous. God is not unrighteous. He's a righteous and holy God who has a standard that we bear and that we keep, and we keep it because we are kept by the Holy Spirit and the residency that he takes in our hearts. And we're not trying to power through life. We actually find that life requires an empowerment of God to make it successfully through. I will encourage you, in case I would forget, that a movie was well done. And I mentioned it last week, and some of you have taken advantage of it, just like I did. The Jesus Revolution, if you look at that movie for what it's representing, it's a generation that was turned inside out because no longer were they choosing to turn on to drugs. They were desiring to be turned on by the work of God, by the spirit of the living God, and they gave up what was not answering their carnal desires. They had spent everything, lost significantly much until they came to a realization that it was God that they were seeking all along. So great film, The Jesus Revolution. It's actually a fact-based film on what happened in the latter 60s, early 70s, when the culture was split, both civilly and spiritually. Cities were burning. People hated each other. And one set of people, the youth of those times, had given up on morality and were only interested in recreational delusion through drugs and alcohol. Terrible time, but God turned it into a triumphant moment. Where are those kids from that generation? Well, they're getting teased and provoked into making choices that their parents had made. 
or that their parents' parents had married. That's really how compressed we are now. The 60s children are both grandparents and parents now. Who lost the flashlight? What could have happened to have a generation turned on to God but the kids of their marriages and those children from their kids, what is happening? Satan's found a foothold. So realize that in these times and in these days, it's drawing nigh, the Lord's return. It's not going to get better. It's going to get more challenging. And you can see that in legislation. Let me continue on. And so as this continues to say, the thing that he did, he banished perversion, that that's what needs to be done. You vote that way. He's going to banish perversion. That's what I can do as long as my vote is being listened to. That's what I'm going to do. Jehoshaphat made merchant ships, it says here, to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion-Geber. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships, but Jehoshaphat would not, and Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers. This is his closeout. And was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jeroham, uh, his son, reigned in his place. And this is really just saying that he wasn't going to make a mistake that he made with Ahab. He had intended to use these ships for the supplies necessary for his city. Ahab's son thought, hey, this could be good for both of us. We'll just broker a deal. We'll form a company a merchant ship ministry. And this should be good for both of us. And he said, I tried that before. almost got killed. Allying myself with whom God says it not to. So you break alliances that ultimately God has no intention of honoring. You just break them. That's what he did in this case. And so then it tells us in verse 51 through 53, the repeated evil of the son of Ahab. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 52, walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel sin, for he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. We turn the page, we enter into recorded history and what happens with this king. Remember, there are two events going on. You have the kingdom that is established in the north. Samaria is where they're located. Judgment did ultimately come to Ahab for his disobedience. He died in battle. He probably could have been sustained and shown mercy, but he always seemed to be persuaded to the contrary of God's will. This tells us that a neighboring nation, Moab, they were Gentiles, meaning they were not a part of the community of believers as the Jews were, even though dysfunctional and seemingly godless, 
highly secular. There was a distinction between God's people, whom he loves, and the neighboring communities who were really enemies of the Jews. They rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Verse 2 says, Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. And so he sent messengers and said to them, Go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. So the lattice, we know what it looks like. And we know kind of where its placement is. Of that kind, it probably is not serving necessarily as a roof shade. It's probably more like a banister. There is conjecture that probably his falling relates to revelry, drunken stupor. He falls through it, can't hold him up. Generally, no one would rely on lattice to keep you up. And the fall he recognizes is to his demise. He seems to have enough cognizant assessment to be able to say, I've got to find out what my state of recovery may be. But notice the first person that he goes to is one that can deliver a message to see if he can find out through a God that doesn't even exist, Beelzebub. You've heard that name more developed when Jesus himself would be accused by the Pharisees of being a son of Beelzebub. Not true. And so this God of Ekron and many of the other foreign nations is being sought for whether this man will live. It says that an angel of the Lord in verse 3 is dispatched to Elijah the Tishbite, and he says, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Akron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And so Elijah departed. This is Elijah. He always comes in with a very brisk and foreboding word. He is one who does not mince his language. You'll remember that at the very beginning, when he makes himself known as a prophet of God, meeting Ahab in the very early parts of his kingship, he is used to have a battle with Baal. And so Beelzebub is that same God. It has an addendum to his name. Perhaps one that gives a stronger reasoning for worshiping. Ooh, not just Baal, but Beelzebub, big man, big God. And one of the things that we see, and we'll see again in this chapter, is that he's allowed to pose a judgment against the worship of Baal. 
and fire that comes down from heaven. You'll remember that one of his phrases he used is, how long will you waver between two opinions? Classic phrase. So necessary to hear in these days. How long will we waver between two opinions? Politics, I know exactly where my mind goes. It wants to be right down the center, but it understands that it is itself divided. Red and blue, what are they saying? What are the others saying? What's true? What's a lie? What is the federal agencies that are supposed to be protecting us in integrity? What are they saying? What are they not saying? How long will I waver between two opinions? What is the judiciary doing? How long will they waver between two opinions? And the thing that God would say to us as a nation, even as what is being said here to this king, is you're going to die. Because there's transgression here God takes that exceptionally personal when a nation that is under him espouses him and turns their back on him. Then there is also a pending judgment that awaits. God has been good to us. That's indicative in the title that we have been blessed with mercy, not receiving what we deserve. It has been suspended in this Beautiful expression of God's forgiveness demonstrated in a word that's very precious, grace. We have been blessed to receive that which we do not deserve, while mercy indicates we've been spared from what we do deserve. But the voice of the prophet is still there, both to the church and to our nation. How long will we waver between two opinions? It's God's word that matters. And God's word is not an opinion. It is truth. See, that's why I can have great confidence. I get tired of opinions. Sometimes I hear too many opinions. And I just have this cellular meltdown. And I don't have a lot more to give to have a cellular meltdown. But at times I get texted. And the texts are somewhat theological. And they are somewhat at the same time, very civil. Help me with this, help me with that. This is what I need. What are you doing about it? And I always refer to the word. And there's a point in which I simply have to say, how long will you waver between two opinions? I've given you God's word, accept it. But I'm not apologizing for it. And so this is what's happening right now. This is an interception. It's of God. He's exercising obedience. He tells these guys, you go back and tell the king. He's not getting out of this one. Like his father before him, he has committed a transgression that is worthy of termination. And so the messengers, as they turn to him, as they go back, to the king, the messengers returned and said to them, and he says to them, why have you come back? And so they said to him, verse 6, a man came up to meet us 
and said to us, Go, return to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub? Israel knew it was one of their first commandments. Love the Lord your God. O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, not multiple gods, certainly not pagan deities manufactured by the vain imaginations of men. The Lord thy God is one God, O Israel. Hear. Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. I was so happy to come up from the bed that I thought I would be dying then when I was hit with COVID. I had some friends that did pass away. But one of the things that I knew in my bed is that I could trust the Lord for the outcome regardless. Wavering certainly on <laughs> what I wanted to do, which was to remain longer, but also resigned, if this is the way it is, then I know that there's a God who will bring comfort to those I leave behind, and I do not need to fear of what is ahead. But that's the kind of sickness that I was in. Many of us who came down with symptoms experienced different kinds of things. For me, it truly appeared to be a sleep of death. I could not rise. I was just laid out. And I remembered that I questioned if it were my time. But my comfort came in trusting the Lord for what he chose to do. And so from April 19th to about May 3rd, the Lord confirmed that I would rise up out of my bed. He took me out of my bed by my kids. They stretchered me, whatever it is. We went to uh, Social Security Bar, and I was in respite by the seashore. <laughs> I was thinking... Well, maybe it's a Viking death that I will have. They're preparing this lounging chair, and they're going to shoot arrows at it, and they'll find me out the harbor. But I lived. I had that comfort because of the Lord. No comfort to the son of Ahab, just facts. What kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? And so they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with 50 men. So he went up to him, and there he was sitting on the top of a hill. And he spoke to him, man of God, the king has said, come down. So this is a captain. He's in charge of 50, so that kind of makes him an older guy rather than a lieutenant because he's a captain and probably handling at 50 if they can. Don't know all of my military jargon. Should. My twin brother was obviously a ground pounder. But that seems to me about a platoon, not a company, not a regiment. A platoon, about 50 guys right now. They're following him. The captain goes up representing himself before Elijah, who's up on the hill surveying. The interview is going on. He's giving a command to Elijah to come on down. That was his job. Isn't that terrible when your job puts you in jeopardy with God? 
I mean, that's something to think about. There are jobs that put us in jeopardy in our relationship with God. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you. <laughs> You're 50 men. I'm not meaning to laugh at that. But you'll see that he is a man that speaks a sure word and it comes to pass. And I bet you if this guy knew that that's what he was going to hear, he wouldn't have taken one more step up that mountain. And fire, it says, came down from heaven and consumed him. And as 50, God chose to use his judgment through Elijah, and it always seems to be a barbecue that's happening at the altar and then the slaying ultimately of the prophets of Baal. This is a such an overt judgment that's coming down, hence the title, regular, crispy, but with a side of mercy. These guys are regular guys doing their job that the king has dispatched them to do. Bring Elijah here. Why? Because the king wanted the results of that word to be changed. Elijah wasn't going to change the terminology of termination. It is what it is. And there is a day in which the terminology will not change even in the crying out of the people because it's too late. When the church is gone and the world is at war and there's a man on the scene, godless, demonic, of Satan, actually a part of that diabolical trinity, there will be people that endeavoring to want out of it will be judged by God in it. It's going to be a horrific time. It'll be too late. And their death assures them of the demise that will be for eternity in hell. So fire comes down, consumes them. Then, verse 11, he sent to him another captain of 50 and his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, thus has the king said, come down quickly. Another captain goes up, meets Elijah on the hill. The platoon's following Elijah classically, accurately says, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Regular, crispy, they're judged. They're gone. They will not satisfy the mission of the king. The king is now lost Two platoons, two captains. And he would have received, obviously, the report, it's not going well. And this son of Ahab would have thought, it didn't go well for my father either. It sounds as though I am seriously in trouble. What would that have afforded him to have assessed that early? What we do know is the possibility of mercy, the possibility of mercy. It's not probable, but there is the possibility of mercy. What does it take? Repentance. Turn from what you're doing, from what you did, 
and ask God to forgive you. Again, he sent a third captain of the 50. And notice this. It's the third part of the title. And he went up and came and notice this. Fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. We have a captain who demonstrates humility. The rank doesn't mean anything to him. The command by his king is irrelevant. He realizes that like the others, he will die in sin and trespass. He's acknowledging that Elijah is the ambassador of God himself. And if he does not get right with God through this emissary, he will be just like the others, torched. Brought to ashes. However that consequence played out, his life would be fired. Expunged. And notice this. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. And so he arose and went down with him to the king. Mercy is being demonstrated because repentance was received. And we've seen an account beforehand of what God was willing to do in Ahab's life during the time being judged, knowing that he would be suffering the penalty of sin, which was death. He rubbed himself in sackcloth. The ashes were tossed. And you remember that Elijah was told, go back there and let him know he's not going to die. His life will play out, but it'll be his son's generation that will experience it. Ahab had the mercy of God. Didn't take him long to forget it. Didn't take him long to prove disobedient again. That's where the battlefield incident happened. And so he goes down and he says this. Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron. Is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And verse 17 says, so Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken because he had no son. Jehoram became king in his place. That's a brother in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Israel? This is simply right now in pictorial graphics teaching us that God is serious about his intended purpose of being worshipped as one God, the only and true and living God. 
and the God who took our place, and therefore he will not be displaced. He will not be commanded to come down from his throne at the whim of perversion or of disobedience. That's been done, by the way, in our Supreme Court. Breyer made a big mistake in his opinion with regard to marriage. It's not an opinion that though it has changed, if you would, civil law, that he cannot be saved from. It was a terrible decision. Globally, the judiciaries would agree, that's never been done before. It's being done by people cohabitating, uniting, pervertedly, but it has never been legislated as it's okay. God's still not okay with it because what he wants to make people is okay. He wants to heal people. He wants to change what Satan has indeed employed in his tactics to pervert and to cause there to be a separation that by incident and choices continues to get bigger, broader, and deeper to where seemingly Satan laughs and says, there's no way that God's going to cross that or man cross it to get to God. It's that deep, that wide, no chance. Well, we know what the cross does. It does form the perfect bridge. And it's high, and it's wide. Let me close, though, with this that I think as well Through a prophet, this is Micah, speaks of that side dish of mercy. Really, what would you choose? I know when you're looking at that, you're thinking Kentucky Fried Chicken. Okay, so you know now, if that's what I was looking for. That's how the title came up. And I was sorely disappointed. I didn't get what I actually ordered. And then there was a part that, uh, that means... The leg and the thigh didn't come in my kit. Something else did. And I go, what's that? And one happened to be regular and one happened to be crispy, but they weren't the pieces that I ordered. And the one thing that I needed in order to choke down those pieces, which were terribly cooked, was the soda that I didn't get. But I didn't realize it till I drove off. I was a very frustrated believer. How could such evil be invoked upon me. But I took my licking, my Kentucky Fried licking, and I didn't get my chicken. And I said, Lord, you're good anyways because your mercy endures. Here's what it says here. Who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? This is chapter 7, Micah Verse 18, listen to this. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. So it continues to get really good. Remember the depth and width. Notice this. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. That's cool. We had a brother that came in here yesterday. His name's Jacob. 
You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham. His authentic name was Jacob. He came in, missed the men's breakfast, but he got a sweet word from the Lord and an invitation to come. And he's here among us. That's cool. Did you discover who Jacob was? But even more importantly, do you realize that that may be the beginning of other Jacobs that decide to come into the house of the Lord? And you know what? They're not quite what we would say like us yet. But what happens if God says, well, just wait and see? Wait and see what I will do. Because of his mercy. But there's a Jacob among us. And actually, if you knew what that meant, and you probably do, it means a snatcher, a real snatcher. But Jacob wouldn't remain that when his relationship with God came into focus and he designed his carnality, his ways. He was given the name of Israel, which means governed by God, which is our destiny to be governed by God, not by politics, not by the social pulls and tugs of perversion, but because God in his mercy has set his spirit not only upon us, but within us. Pretty awesome. Regular, crispier with a side of mercy. Choose mercy. Tell people that the mercy of God is available. With your kindness, let God lead them to repentance. Quit asking people to crawl on their knees. Just invite them to walk with their feet in the footsteps of faith. Like, he did such an incredible job with this walk yesterday. I just, I will never forget it. I feel that there's going to be a mountain now that I have to climb using that technique. But Rob did a great illustration. We're going to go ahead and close now uh, in prayer. But as we do so, I'm going to ask the brothers to come forward to minister the giving of the tithes and the offerings. This is what I believe we do. It's an act of worship. It is important. I am not separated from it. It's my joy to be able to do that. But I do believe at times the church has also gotten way too casual. And I don't like tipping God. I actually like rendering to the Lord what is the Lord's. And I enjoy the process of trusting that what I give, I can never outgive him. Never. So let's pray. Worship band will come up. And brothers, just come out and do that right now. Lord, we ask for your blessings. Thank you for this time in the word. Thank you for our food. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your provision. Bless us as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.